1: Welcome, everybody. All right, today we're talking about loving someone with anxiety. You know, this can actually be absolute torture for both parties uh, that are in a relationship when anxiety is involved. Anxiety is fear. Fear is mistrust. Trust is the foundation of a relationship. If you want a a relationship to grow, you don't work on love, you work on trust. But when a person has constant anxiety or continuous anxiety, what generally happens is that person has an issue trusting. And so they start to project ahead. They start to look for clues of things to go wrong. And they begin to worry, worry, worry and procrastinate. And and there's just a lot of fear involved in their psychology. Unfortunately, if they're married to somebody else, that person either picks up on that anxiety or calms down that anxiety or has to deal with that anxiety on a constant basis. To not be trusted in a marriage or in a relationship that is committed is one of the most torturous things to have to endure. It is one of the most difficult things because every time your trust comes into question, your integrity comes into question. And integrity is one of the greatest things that makes us attractive. So to endure anxiety while you're in a relationship with a partner who has anxiety can be enormously challenging. You know, and I'm sure you've been down this road before and it can be troubling, you know, not just for your partner, but for you. And you have to understand how anxiety can manipulate your loved one's thoughts, their feelings and behaviors, and can help you diffuse tense situations. It is possible to be with somebody who has anxiety and also be able to have a sense of how to diffuse it. However, you've got to understand it first. And it's important that the two of you work as a team to work out anxiety-induced kinks in the relationship. If the partner is denying the fact that they have anxiety, then you're going to have big trouble because that anxiety, they feel is going to make them less than, vulnerable to you. And that vulnerability, once again, is another sense of insecurity. And insecurity is a very loud thing to have to live with. It's a very noisy, it's got a lot of words, it's got a lot of actions, it's got a lot of grief. And it's unfortunate, but it can take its toll on people. And it's a feeling of worry or unease about a situation. And we all feel anxious at times, and we all worry. But sometimes these feelings can become an, it's so intense and overwhelming that they consume your daily life and your energy, mentally, physically, and emotionally. For instance, if you're going to sit in a relationship and worry about, is my partner going to have an affair? And you're going to spend your whole time trying to deduce whether or not they're having an affair, either covertly or overtly researching the idea of what this person's doing – What you're basically doing is you're putting the 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 problem on their shoulders. The problem is on your shoulders. If you're having to investigate whether your partner's having an affair, why are you with them in the first place? But secondly, if you're going to spend all your energy trying to notify yourself or prevent them from having an affair, you're preventing the inevitable if that's what you believe. And the problem is you need to figure out what you will do if your partner is going to have an affair, and that's all you can control. And you need to end it with that and stop researching because that answer is the answer that you have to respond to. Whatever you do in advance is not going to control the situation. And also, anxiety doesn't have to live in a vacuum you know, uh, 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 a lot, Even, even in the most loving relationships, if one partner has anxiety, it can strain the relationship and dampen the trust and the intimacy. So oftentimes people that drag anxiety into their relationship and project those fears onto their partner, even though they're their fears, not their partner's fears, what's going to happen is intimacy gets wrecked. And that means the desire, the, the sense of having a, a sex life with a person who is fear-based is not exactly the most fun, most intimate, most comforting, most safe situation. And so people that have anxiety oftentimes have trouble in the bedroom because it's not sexy to have anxiety. It's not sexy to be depressed. And it's not sexy to be the one to have to drag you out of it You have to take accountability for your own mental disorders and not project them on the world. However, it is imperative that people that have anxiety, if they're going to be with a partner, that partner has to accept their role. And their role is to help them with their anxiety, not to save them from their anxiety, not to fix their anxiety, but to help them calm them down. And so, you know, marital problems, family functioning, anxiety disorders, these all are wrecking balls to families and to relationships. And it's bi-directional because the person that has to respond to the anxiety is often frustrated because it's like you're trying to make trouble where there is no trouble. And that can be very troublesome in itself and that can be very aggravating. Now, it's not that people can't be, you know, sometimes aren't doing what the anxiety person is challenging that they're doing. But really, once again, it is up to the anxiety based person to decide what they're going to do with their anxiety. What are you going to do if whatever your fear is is the truth? You know, the thing is with anxiety in a relationship is you're often not on the same page. It can feel as if you're both speaking different languages. And, and, and in fact, you speak logic and your other partner speaks emotion. And those are two different things because emotion has no logic and logic has no emotion. And so they don't really understand each other. And if you try to make logic of emotion, you're going to lose every time. Emotion needs to be validated. And if you're an analytical living with an anxious emotional person, you need to back up and go, I need to validate feelings, not try to solve problems. I need to validate and understand their feelings. I don't have to agree with them. I don't have to do anything else but validate. Oh, I'm sorry you feel that way. Oh, that must hurt. That must be difficult for you. That's a thing called empathy. That's a thing called compassion. And that's what people with anxiety need. They don't need you to defend yourself or try to fix them. They need your compassion and your empathy. That is the most honest answer you can give back to them. But if you're gonna get defensive, you're actually gonna fuel their anxiety because that means there must be some truth to what they believe because you're having to work so hard to defend yourself. And so you're actually exacerbating the situation by being defensive. Also, avoidance is a key feature of anxiety. Unless you both are on the same page, it can cause a riff in the relationship. And it may not seem like a big deal, but every time you avoid a situation and you get into the similar situation and it repeats and it repeats and repeats itself, it becomes a thing called passive-aggressive. And passive-aggressive people store it up and store it up and store it up, and then eventually they blow like a teapot And basically they look like a crazy person when they blow and they've been holding it back all this time and they can't believe that they now look like the crazy person when the person they were trying to deal with is the one that's been making them crazy all along. So people that have anxiety oftentimes trigger the non-conflict-oriented part of their partner who stuffs it and stuffs it and stuffs it. Okay, you don't trust me here, you don't trust me here, you don't trust me here. And eventually they just get frustrated. They get sick of it and they blow. And they blow looking like crazy, crazy. And so that's the problem in a relationship that that actually exacerbates the anxiety because it creates even more fear, more insecurity, and it makes the other partner very frustrated because they're not communicating emotions. So how do we solve that? Well, how we solve that is learning how to be adults in conflict. Adults in conflict speak to their emotions. They use their words. They don't demonstrate their emotions. They don't use verbosity. They go, you know, I'm really frustrated because this, 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 and this is how it makes me feel, and this is how it affects me. That's all you have to do. It doesn't have to be a Broadway production. It doesn't have to be an opera. It doesn't have to be high conflict. But when those problems pop up instead of storing them up as a, as a person that avoids conflict, actually do adult conflict and you'll find it's not nearly as stressful as you think it is. You know, anxiety can also be exhausting. And, and you know, the, the whole problem of it is is it is it'll make you tired. It makes you exhausted all the time. You don't even want to go out. It might be an excuse for you not to interact with the world. So people with social anxiety worry that they'll do something embarrassing. Uh, To avoid looking foolish, they skip outings and may make them uncomfortable to do that. They're also afraid of being judged. They're afraid of how they're being seen. So people that have poor body images oftentimes will avoid going out because of their social anxiety around how they judge their own bodies. You know, if your partner seems tense, it may be because that's how they physically feel. A lot of people feel their anxiety in their gut, in their chest, and in their neck. And so panic attacks can be particularly frightening because the physical sensations sometimes mimic like a heart attack. And that's scary, but these symptoms are short-lived, and that's the difference. They go away. You know, typically panic attack symptoms peak within minutes. If you know your partner's not in any real danger, give them space to acknowledge the thoughts that trigger the anxiety, time to take some deep breaths, maybe some water so they get some oxygen into their brain. And they may also want to do some slow breathing to reduce the panic symptoms. You also, your partner gets worked up about things if you're with somebody that has anxiety, you know, but do you really understand what they're struggling with? That may be the problem is you're not taking the time to understand. Some people just don't disclose all the depths uh, and all the scary parts of their anxiety in detail to the person who in theory is closest to them and they feel trapped in their own anxiety because that partner is such a poor listener. But what you have to remember, if you're going to be married to somebody or in a long-term relation with somebody with anxiety, you need to have compassion. That means you also have to be the listener. And the listener has good questions. And the listener is very insightful. But they're not offering solutions. They're listening. And by doing that, you're allowing the anxious person to hear themselves and self-remedy and become self-managing. You see, and that's a really important component if you're with somebody who has anxiety and you're the partner receiving it. You know, when you're stressed, when your partner's stressed out, the last thing you should do is get worked up yourself. If you're gonna feed the anxiety by being anxious because they're anxious, you're just creating torture for yourself. And that's not their fault. That's your fault. You're in charge of how you feel. They're in charge of how they feel. If you're gonna join them and both be crazy, you're gonna have a crazy situation. You know, we actually mirror each other's neurotransmitters oftentimes, and it's really easy to follow down the path of anxiety and go down that same path with somebody else. You know, your your fear of heights or a traumatic event that left you rattled, multiply that by 10, and that's how your partner's anxiety feels. And so, you know, if you've had something in your life that's similar to a situation that you're in and it drives anxiety because it's tied back to something that was very traumatic, maybe you felt insecure, maybe you felt unsafe or whatever, you know, empathize. Empathize. Try to feel safer. Safety is the key to fear. So if you want to make a person's anxiety go down, you go towards safety, Safety's the big factor involved in that. The other part is faith. You know, when fear enters, faith leaves. When faith enters, fear leaves. And so you wanna always land on faith. If you do that, you have a better chance of managing any type of anxiety. If your partner's gonna go down into the pit of anxiety and fear, you need to go up into the place of faith and hope. Faith and hope and safety faith and hope and safety. You know, navigating when and how to help may be easier said than done, but, but anxiety and depression is knowing when to be patient and what to push your partner and make them trial and error. Understand that learning how to manage that partner's anxiety is experiential learning. That means you have to learn through experience, and sometimes it takes great time to do that. Also, everybody, all of us have anxious moments, but when anxiety disrupts a person's life and relationships, it's time to get help. And it could be an anxiety disorder. And maybe it needs to be personally managed by the person with anxiety. But sometimes it could be how the relationship responds to the anxiety, which may need marital or long-term or not, excuse me, long-term relationship type of therapy. You know, anxiety is super treatable. And the symptoms often resolve with therapy, which is why it's important to seek help instead of trying to tough out the symptoms. If you're going to try to tough it out, there is no net. You are your only net and that leaves you vulnerable once again. You know, there's only so much reassuring a person can do also. So if you're the receiver of your partner's anxiety, at some point, you know, the non-anxious spouse has to have permission not to talk to the anxiety, meaning I do not want to be the one having to deal with their anxiety all the time. There have to be other outlets. There has to be a support system so that, and that doesn't mean your children, by the way, that means, you know, relatives or or friends or whatever, but therapists or whatever in your life, but to dump it all on your partner and make them the gateway to how you deal with your anxiety is unfair to your partner. That is a trial, that is a gauntlet that they don't always need to have the energy to run through. You know, together, you devise a plan as both spouse. And, and when the anxious spouse starts going down the rabbit hole of what ifs, the partner can gently say, look, I'm not gonna feed into this and it's not because I don't care about you, it's actually because I care about you and, and I don't wanna see you hurting, and I'm really tired of being a part of this. I don't wanna be a part of it. You need to find another way to manage it besides just me. You know, it's not uncommon for there to be anxiety in relationships. When anxiety grows beyond ordinary worry, it becomes a really serious issue, and it affects the mental well-being of everybody, including your children if it's a family. And if you suffer from anxiety, you probably are no stranger to the effects of the mental health condition can have on your relationships. So living with these conditions can generate fear, worry, sadness, mood swings. Symptoms may carry over into your marriage or your relationship and harm everybody. You know, when left untreated, anxiety can also be harmful to your friendships and other personal relationships. So you have to find ways to cope with your anxiety. And it's important that it's healthy and in maintaining healthy relationships, both in one's personal life and outside of it. Fortunately, you know, people, there are people out there who understand that. All of us experience anxiety, so we all have that in common. But here's the deal confidence is quiet, insecurity is loud. If you want to have balance, you need to weigh on the side of confidence. If you want to move away from the idea of insecurity, then stop putting the weight of your life on how other people see you and start seeing yourself for your own talents, your own gifts, and the fact that you are a work in progress that is never completed until we pass. There's different forms of anxiety also that can affect your relationships. Generalized anxiety disorder is the most common disorder. It's called GAD, G-A-D. And it is persistent, excessive worry about a whole bunch of things. And those people with generalized anxiety disorder may find it impossible to control their worry. And so the symptoms is feeling nervous or on edge, having a sense of impending danger, feeling weak or tired, difficulty concentrating, having trouble with concentration, gastrointestinal problems usually this kind of mental health issue can be treated through therapy that focus on the root causes of the symptoms what is it you're afraid of what is it and how deep is it going and where did it come from where did this philosophy of fear come from in your life overcoming anxiety is an ongoing process that requires a lot of patience however You know, there is people out there that can help you and your spouse can help you if they choose to be patient, calm, and they have compassion for your anxiety. You know, some ways of anxiety can damage a relationship is being overly dependent, and that's the more common part where those who suffer from generalized anxiety may become overly dependent on their partner and it's random. It's like, I, I can't do the dishes, I can't do this, I can't do, I can mow the lawn today, I can't do the laundry, I'm just too stressed out, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden the other partner has to pick up the baggage. Well, that's part of being with somebody who has anxiety disorders. It is part of the process because their fear is exacerbating them. And if you're going to f- the fear and say, oh gosh, what, you mean you really can't, you're going to make me do the laundry all day today? I'm going to have to watch the kids. I have to go to work, and now I now have to call in sick because you, you won't do this? It's inconvenient. It really is. That's why you have to have compassion for it. But the problem is you also have to have boundaries, and that means you need to have other resources outside of yourself that can support that person who quickly, uh, based on however they feel, is, is inconsistent in what they commit to do and what they will do. It's very frustrating for the partner to have to live with this ongoing, inconsistent process because you have a hard time emotionally trusting your partner who has anxiety. All right, we're gonna take a break and we're gonna come back. Friend us on Facebook to keep
0: up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page.
1: Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd
0: Psychology.
1: Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about loving someone with anxiety. One of the hardest jobs in the whole world. Those who suffer from, from uh, generalized anxiety, especially, become overly dependent on their partners. And this may include overthinking their relationship, uh, fearing rejection, planning for divorce, often throwing out the word divorce getting anxious if a partner does not respond quickly, having major trust issues, always confronting trust, 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 and uh, also uh, planning for the worst, which is called catastrophization. And those who are overly dependent may also feel like they need constant reassurance from their partner. Oh, everything's all right. No, no, I know it's not. I know you think this of me, I don't think of you, You're, you're beautiful, you're fine oh, you don't don't really think I'm beautiful. See, they don't even know how to take a compliment. And that sucks because if you're going to take the time to give someone a compliment, the least they could do is just sit their ego aside and go, hey, thank you. That's really nice. If a person can actually accept somebody's compliments, that's a sign that they may have a little bit of confidence. That's a nice thing to have. You know, social isolation is also a part of anxiety. Sometimes with this anxiety, they withdraw from their relationships, they're isolating themselves to avoid any negative feelings, and that makes them maintaining a relationship difficult. So to avoid this, it's important to open up to your partner and let them know how you're feeling. You know, constant worrying is, wears down on a partner having to endure someone who is always worrying, somebody with constant anxiety. You know, they feel like they're constantly living on edge, and that makes you live on edge. So if you find yourself worrying often, you may be putting a strain on your partner. And it it's important to learn how effectively communicate with your partner to understand each other's emotions. If you feel like you're worrying too much, it may be time to speak to a therapist. Yes, a professional who can actually help you with it and give you tools to help you undo your anxiety. You know, anxiety, if you're going to live in fear, we're, we are basically... Uh, that means that you're always living in a jungle with no security. You know, why don't you live in the jungle and have confidence in your abilities and build your abilities so that you can survive in the jungle rather than worrying about being eaten by the tiger? You know, while not comprehensive, the list of effects of anxiety on relationships is intense. And, and, and you know, these difficulties also affect friendships and loved ones and family And it's really hard to want to spend time with people who have constant insecurity and anxiety because they are exhausting. They take so much energy to have to sustain them. And if they're not wanting to manage it themselves or if they're always feeling like a victim or it's everybody else's fault or, you know, if this didn't happen, then I wouldn't feel this way or, you know, oh, this is probably going to happen because this is how you are, You know, they oftentimes really throw people into corners that they don't want to be in and put people, labels on people that they don't want to have. Unfortunately, they do that to cope with their own anxiety so that they don't have to take on more negative thinking on themselves. So if you're maintaining your relationship while you're experiencing anxiety, it may be a struggle. However, there's things that you can do to have a happier, healthier relationship. And that is what we want to focus on. So if someone in your family or one of your friends or your partner has been experiencing anxiety, uh, you want to find the best ways to support each other. And so first of all, you want to get a good understanding of the symptoms that that person is experiencing and those triggers that are impacting their anxiety. What are the fear factors? You know, anxiety impacts people differently. There's a wide range of those symptoms, and people can exhibit different behaviors, including defensiveness, irritability, and restlessness. So you want to find the different types of anxiety so you can help get a good understanding of the person you care about and deal with their individual issues rather than the broader issue of anxiety. You know, the other thing is if you're going to be with somebody who has anxiety, you have to be in their corner. You have to let them know that you're there for them. When you're learning how to help someone with anxiety, you may want to explain to the person that you've noticed that they seem more anxious lately and that you are here and that you love them. That's important. You're not there to solve it. You're not there to make it better. But you're there to have comfort. You're there to give compassion and empathy. And this will typically come as a welcome relief to that person as they realize they don't have to carry the burden of their anxiety alone and they don't have to carry the judgment of their anxiety alone. If you're going to judge an anxious person, you're exacerbating the situation. You are unhealthy in that scenario. That is not helping at all. So having the conversation of empathy gives the person a chance to see that they have people who care about them, who want to listen, who want to help them feel better. Someone suffering from anxiety could also tell you ways that they could have, that you can help them manage their anxiety symptoms. But if they ask you, you need to listen. You don't need to go, "Uh uh-huh, I do that, I do that, yeah, yeah. No, that's not what you do. You listen, 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 validate listen and that's it. That's it. And don't tell them all the things you've done. That's being defensive and that's not helpful either. Focus on them for a moment and let them vent and let them communicate and validate and take it in and actually listen accountably to what they're saying to you. When you ask a person how you can support them, you listen to their preferences After all, you want to know how to help people with anxiety and support them. They may want help breaking down a task they're anxious about. They may want you to distract them from their anxious thoughts. Or they may just want someone to talk to. You know, by taking time to listen and understand their needs, you can give them emotional support that will really make a difference. Because many times the answers are in their own brains and they just need to hear what they're thinking. If your loved one feels comfortable discussing anxiety, use active listening techniques to show you understand how they feel and that it makes sense. And you can use things like, you know, how can I help you? I've noticed you've been anxious recently. I'm worried about you no matter what, I'll always be here for you. Do you wanna go for a walk and talk about your issues? You know, it's important, I'll listen. There are things you should try and avoid saying also. In general, uh, try not to minimize how someone feels or dismiss what they're saying as an overreaction saying things like try not to think about it you know i get anxious too maybe you're just an anxious person you, you you've got nothing to be anxious about do you keep lines of communication open that's important too when it comes to helping someone with anxiety it's important to keep communication open with them at all times. If you're able to see the person regularly, as this will help managing their anxiety, spend one-on-one time with them so that they have opportunities to talk to you about anything that they feel anxious about. You can also keep in touch over the phone or video or phone calling once a week or sending a text every few days just to see how their week's going. You know, that's kind of nice to know other people care about you. And if you're anxious, that's very, very reassuring. When you offer to help with anxiety, that means you're not defensive. Get out of the what I have done for you mode. Get out of being the victim of what you won't do and I have to do because you're anxious. You you know, stop playing the power differential. It's understandable for you to be frustrated. It's, you know, tired from time to time, even scared. It's likely their anxieties are having an effect on you, too. Especially if they happen in moments that are inconvenient, like a vacation, or you know when you have to go to work or when you want to go work out or when you want to do various things, but you have to have a little bit of patience because not everything's gonna go your way. So that means you have to either exacerbate and work the issue with that person at an inconvenient time or Or pay the consequences later with too much time on their hands and them overthinking and going farther into catastrophization, fears, and mistrust. You know, you also need to understand that you are dealing with maintaining your own well-being. And if you want to maintain your own well-being, you have to go towards the problem, not away from the problem. You know, talk to other friends and family members about how you're feeling. You know, think about accessing therapeutic support for yourself for having to deal with somebody with anxiety and you know, take really good care of your physical and mental health. Book time every week to do activities that you enjoy, that feed you, that give you gas, that fill your tank. By keeping yourself well, you will be in a much better position to help the person with anxiety. And always remember you're doing your best. And that's what you have to remind yourself. Now, there's a lot of don'ts you want to do when you're uh, – that you don't want to do when you're a partner with with, uh, someone with anxiety. You don't want to talk about their anxiety all the time. When you're with a person and when you're talking them over the phone, avoid constantly bringing up anxiety, asking questions about it. Instead, keep the conversation flowing. Let them talk about it if they want to. That way they won't feel uncomfortable and pressured into discussing their anxiety when they don't want to. Let them bring it up. Let them bring it up. You don't have to do it. You also don't want to enable their anxieties. When someone has anxiety, they may try to avoid certain places and scenarios. As a result, you may have started to modify your behavior as well. For example, you may have started to avoid certain places that you go to. And you may have started taking on tasks to help the person continue with their avoidance. You know, that may seem helpful as you're stopping the person from worrying in the short term, but that avoidance can actually have a negative impact on them in the long run. The continued avoidance actually is a codependent behavior and it can perpetuate their worries and prevent them from recognizing that they can actually manage in scenarios that they're evading, like driving, for instance. You know, the bottom line is, It's called in vivo. What that means is in life. And sometimes we have to dive into the things we're anxious about to learn whether or not we are truly anxious about it or if it's all in our head. And we have to have the endurance and the drive and the will to battle that. We also have to understand there's a thing called systematic desensitization, and that means over time we slowly desensitize ourselves to our fears. That's another way of solving the problem, where you do it in bits and pieces, progressively moving towards the target of actually getting onto the airplane, for instance. The, you know What's important to you is not enabling behaviors if you're the partner of a person with anxiety. And so it also imperative that you don't force the person to go places and enter scenarios that they're extremely anxious about if they're not prepared. This is something they should work gradually towards with maybe professional therapeutic support. So if you attempt to push them too far, it could damage the trust in your relationship and cause them a significant amount of stress and not being able to trust you to be looking out for their well-being. The other thing is, if you're going to be a partner with somebody with uh, anxiety, don't get frustrated if you can help it. You know, part of suffering from severe levels of anxiety can be a lack of willingness to engage in your hobbies, your job, your social activities. Remember, if your loved one cuts themselves off from social activities or friends and family, it's their defense mechanism that's kicking in. Don't take it personally and don't get frustrated if they aren't as engaged as you. You know, but it is something you do want to confront with them and say, hey, when you choose to do this, this is how it affects me, too. And I just want you to know that I love you and I care for you and I'm here for you. But there's two of us involved in this. And if you're going to live with anxiety, I have to live with your anxiety, too. That means you have to manage that. Just as if I have a problem that I've created, I have to manage that. That's the responsibility, The other thing is oftentimes partners expect immediate change and and, and, uh, in their partner with anxiety. You know, recovery is a process and over time your loved one will develop strategies and techniques that help them deal with their anxiety, slowly returning to normal life. So you do everything you can to support, not hinder the process by gathering as much resolve and patience and actually be grateful for their growth and recognize their growth. You're only helping the entire family and yourself if you're helping them understand how they are growing. We do better with positive emotional support than we do with negative criticisms. However, partners of people with anxiety often are lazy. Instead of doing what's right, they do what's easy, which is to criticize their partner. And that creates even more lower self-esteem and even more anxiety. You know, if your loved one hasn't considered professional support, their anxiety is having significant uh, impact on day-to-day life, it's exploring their options that's important because it is bigger than them. It is called pervasive. And that means it's something that needs to be dealt with. And, and, you know, teaching strategies and methods that allow you to learn how to cope with anxiety is number one. Making long-term recovery a possibility is number two. Extend your support by getting other people involved in your life that can help you with that anxiety. You know, it's huge. It's huge because we all have it and we all understand it. And so we all can help each other by the ways we deal with our own personal anxiety. You know, it's really tough when you have anxiety. Your thoughts are race. You might dread things that f- people find simple, like driving to work. Your worries might feel inescapable. But loving someone with anxiety is hard. And it might feel powerless to help or overwhelm by how your partner's feelings affect your daily life. You know, you're not alone. Multiple studies have shown that anxiety disorders may continue and contribute to marital dissatisfaction. And that, my friends, is a fact. We're going to take another break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk more about how it can affect a marriage. So come back.
0: Change your world. Change your life.
1: VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
0: Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching 818 7856. Unravel the mysteries of metaphysics every week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Join host Barb Crowley that's easy enough but if you want to send an email it will take some thinking got a pen the email address is drgb at sbcglobal.net or you can just click on email host on the voice america page now back to dr gary bell's absurd
1: psychology welcome back everybody all right we're talking about partners living and loving someone with anxiety you know it's really amazing that often people feel a little more comfortable talking about anxiety as stress rather than a disorder. And I understand that. You know, even if the perspective, you have to understand that when people have the perspective of stress, stress is something that we all associate ourselves to. Anxiety has a more clinical understanding. And so maybe stress is the word to use that will help you navigate better where that person does not feel labeled. But here's the deal. If you're going to be with somebody for a long period of time, if you're going to be married, the perspective of your partner is often not going to be one that you agree with. And if you're going to be with a committed partner, you have to be willing to accept their perspective. It doesn't mean you agree with it. But you have to understand it. Even if the perspective of the other person is absolutely crazy – it makes no sense to you logically. You still need to validate it. You want to validate their feelings. When you take people's feelings away, that is one of the most basis betrayal that you could possibly do. You want to try to understand their fears and worries. That means you do not try to solve it. You just try to understand it and at least acknowledge that those fears and worries are real to your partner before addressing why Things might be so irrational. You know, if you're going to go to the irrational argument with somebody who's having fear and anxiety, you're just berating them. That's not going to help you. It makes you look like a turd. And if you want to do that, that's not going to help the relationship be any better. Anxiety doesn't have all the easy solutions. But if you help somebody with compassion, you know, uh, that's great. Too many people, particularly males, want to fix it right away. And you have to start with empathy and understanding if you want to be pr- productive in a conversation with people with anxiety because they're doing what they feel. What they feel at that time is much more important than what they think. So if you're trying to do the logic thing, you're creating a power differential that doesn't need to be there. You need to acknowledge feelings. You have feelings. Even if you're you know, autistic and you have barely have one emotion, you still have the ability to validate. Validate, validate, validate. That's that's the, that's the part of helping people with anxiety. But not before the feel, you know. If you're going to make them feel like they're judged or misunderstood, you're just creating a, a a very serious problem. Because if you're their committed partner, you're supposed to be one of the main places they can plug in. And if you're not going to be that, that is going to create a lot of betrayal, a lot of anger, a lot of emotional trust issues that is going to take enormous amounts of energy instead of having grace when you actually give them compassion, compassion, compassion. You're creating so many problems as their partner by resisting their anxiety. You know, you you also uh think about it if they're going to go to therapy, maybe you both should go to therapy and learn how to fight the anxiety together. Sometimes that is a good way to address it. Sometimes that's a way to go go about it as you both go after the anxiety with the therapist. You have all three of you armed and ready to attack that issue. You know? you also don't want to contaminate and, and talk down about your partner as if their features and their fears and their worries are the problem of the relationship. It's not that. It's just, it just creates more barriers in the relationship than need to be there. You know, uh, if you want to do an act of love, act of love is compassion. Compassion is the way to deal with anxiety if you are the partner receiving it. When your partner suffers from debilitating anxiety and you don't your partner's behavior is frustrating and that's just the way it is but you should never patronize or diminish their fears it's important you know you know why why can't we do this why you know why this why is this becoming my problem well it's not becoming your problem it's giving them an outlet to listen to themselves that's what you have to do it is not dumping on you You know, you're not in charge, even though they may say, you make me feel, you make me feel. No, I don't make you feel crap. You do that all on your own. I do my feelings. You do your feelings. You choose how to react to me. I choose how to react to you, you know, and and that's the deal. We don't own each other's feelings and we don't make each other feel anything. Partners definitely need support of their own. You know, whether that means their own therapeutic relationship or friends or family or other people, other interests, other activities that set them apart from the world of anxiety, like old people do with golf, you know, that may be just what you have to do. Maybe you need something like that that fills your tank so that you can go back into the world of anxiety and have to work with that particular issue. You also don't want to let your partner's anxiety, if you're the partner receiving the anxiety, to run your life. You know, if someone has obsessive compulsive disorder, which is closely linked to anxiety disorders, they may want family members to keep everything very clean, organized in arbitrary ways. So it's important to restrict how much you will organize your household around your partner's anxiety and not to indulge every request or mandate. Give them their little territories that they can keep clean. Give them their little places that they can obsess, but don't give them the whole house as their one three-ring circus that they operate because obsessive compulsive disorder can run the show if you let that person go crazy. You also want to be respectful but you have to set limits because what they're doing is impacting other people. It's impacting – it's shaping the minds of your children. It's shaping your mind. It's shaping their mind. And if we're all going to have to be part of the disorder, that is not going to be helpful because now we're going to pass it on to our children's lives and to their spouse's lives and to their children's lives. Not a good thing. Not a good thing. OCD, Obsessive Compulsive Disorder, is a coping skill. It is a thought-based disorder. It is the way you're coping with something, and if you really want to solve it, what are you coping with? What are you coping with? Deal with that instead of running around the house cleaning germs all day long. You know, a lot of people with anxiety disorders understandably view anxiety as the enemy. Actually, it's not. The real enemy is the avoidance or that anxiety causes people to avoid things like applying to schools flying to somebody's wedding you know leading some kind of uh enrichment in your life or and it's also anxiety is on the the back of the coin of depression so if you have depression you have anxiety so you either have more you have depression and you feel anxious because you can't get out of bed or you feel anxious excuse me, you feel depressed because you're so anxious you don't feel like you're in control of your life. So it's really important to understand that those two things go together. You know, it's like peas and carrots. Yes, it is. It also can reduce the number of life experiences that you and your partner share. If you live with anxiety, you are going to buffer all of the experiences that you guys go through. And so sometimes if you're gonna be an anxious person and not try to solve it, at least let your partner be free enough to do some things on their own to feed their own needs. Because if you're going to repress everything based on your fear and filter everything through fear, that's not living that's coping. And if you're making your partner live that way, that's human torture. If you're faced with anxiety, you do not want to impact your entire family through everything that you have to participate in because you don't want to miss out on it but then you have your anxiety to have to deal with and they have to manage it. That means they have a barrier to actually experiences experiencing life, experiencing meaningful moments in their life, memories that could last a lifetime because you're restraining them back because of your fear. That's not fair to anybody. So you guys have to navigate openly and honestly about how much anxiety will influence us. You know, uh, you can also have an anxious life. But if you do things and you're doing – you know, if you're going to go somewhere, if you're actually going to allow yourself to experience life and to experience things and, and go, hey, something may happen differently and you actually ebb and flow with that. That's called resiliency, which is one of the greatest qualities of any human being is to be able to fight the fear, face the fear, develop a response, and actually live in the response rather than the fear. That's important. That is where we wanna be in a healthy life. Also, if you're gonna date someone with anxiety issues, it can be a real challenge. And it can feel like anxiety is the third person in the relationship. You know, nobody prepares you for this. And and so it's really hard to shape yourself into a relationship with somebody who's faced with anxiety. Nonetheless, anxiety doesn't have to break your relationship or put a strain onto it to the point that it's hard to enjoy. By understanding anxiety in general and how it affects both your partner and your relationship, you can love each other more deeply and connect it in a different way. But it's really important if you're going to be the partner of someone with anxiety that you always give them a healthy place to go rather than nag them for being where they are rather than making them out to be a victim or you out to be a victim for them. What you want to do is say, hey, I'm inviting you to do this. I think this will be good for you and go there, go there. And keep inviting them and keep inviting them to be healthy. That is going to help them develop the courage that they need to actually step into their life, step into the relationship, and actually have more experiential wisdom in their life. That's important for all of us to have. Life is one leap of faith after another life has nothing to do with fear if we're going to live in fear we're just going to calculate bad outcomes and we're going to have self-fulfilling prophecies happen when we do that you also have to understand if you're going to be a partner to somebody with anxiety you're not going to fix it or cure it most people have severe anxiety wish they didn't have it there are millions of people despite dealing with the anxiety they have great intimate relationships and are happy and that's because they accept the fact that they struggle with it and they both as partners work with it that's the deal you work with it you know and anxiety is not a weakness it's perceived to be a weakness what it is it's counterproductive to life it's a philosophy that a person develops over time because they've collected evidence that fear-based things are going to happen And they only focus on theirs instead of the successes. They forget everything else. They have this narrative that, oh, my God, everything's going to be this way. Fear-based, fear-based, fear-based. And then they go, oh, look, that happened. Look at that happened. Oh, my gosh, that happened. And they prove themselves right. And then they work themselves into a philosophy of fear, which actually dictates the outcome of all their relationships. You have to undo that. It's treatable. But you have to teach people how to better cope with life and how to face life. Faith-based life is the only way to live. Take leaps of faith. You will learn. You will enjoy. You will create memories. You will do great things. You will experience things that you never thought you would experience because you take a chance. Have that courage. You know? Uh, if you're gonna be a pragmatic person, some people are pragmatic, they're fear-based. Pragmatic people have to make predictions and make calculated outcomes and do all this craziness. That's great to be pragmatic. That means you're trying to be safe, but at the same time, you can be overly pragmatic and over-plan and kill all the fun. You know, the other thing is, what if someone's lying to you? If you're always thinking about that, what if they're cheating on me? What, 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 what if they like someone else more? What if the anxiety is gonna destroy our relationship? What if we break up? Well, that's a natural fear-based thought of an insecure person with anxiety. Those things are gonna be projected on their partner when they have anxiety. You're eventually gonna leave me. You know, why didn't you reach out? Why didn't you text me? Why didn't you tell me when you were going this place, that place? You know, they're always searching. And if you're the partner that's gonna get defensive about that, you're going to have a problem. You just need to be calm. Just recognize truths and stay there. Be very transactional in your process. Yeah, I went here, I did this, I forgot to call you and I'm really sorry. You know, We don't have to make a Broadway production every time that a mistake happens and we don't meet the anxious partner's needs. We have to be calm, straightforward, and not trying to be right. We don't wanna try to be right. I know you're afraid, I know I get you were concerned. I understand it, I I really do. If you wanna know what I did, Ask me and I'll tell you, you know, and and, and we'll go there. You know, we also have to understand that they're often angry and irritable and controlling and distracted, uh, you know. So that's why we all have to go, hey, you know, this anxiety thing's amped up. You know, that's important for us to get to so that we can work to it better. All right. That's our show. I want to thank everybody for listening. I love hearing from you. And as a matter of fact, this show came from a listener. And, and, and they brought this idea to me, and, and, we went, and I went down the path and researched it. You can do that. At, at, at reach back to me at voiceamerica.com, the Empowerment Channel, Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Now, remember, if stressed burn calories, most of us would be supermodels. Also, stress is like rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you very far. And also, stressed spelled backwards is desserts.